Hey everybody, this is Jim from faithtestedbyfire.com, and you are listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. Welcome back, everyone. My name is Jim, and you are listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. And the last time we spoke, or the last time I spoke, I started on what I call part one of a two-part series. Maybe it'll be three parts, or maybe just two. But I started talking about how faith works. And this was such an important topic to me for most of my uh, life. And what I mean by how faith works, I'm not necessarily talking about uh, the mechanics of faith, like you might talk about the mechanics of a car, meaning that if the car suddenly, the engine suddenly dies as you're driving down the street and you kind of glide over to the side of the road, you open up the hood, uh, any number of things can be wrong. Maybe you see certain symptoms like steam coming out of a, of a broken uh, radiator or a belt broken. I mean, any number of things, of course, can happen. And then we can either fix or not fix whatever it is that's been broken. I don't look at faith quite like that. I look at faith more like I would look at the uh, process or system we know as farming in which you plant a seed, you water the seed, and then you persevere until the harvest. And from the time that you plant that seed and the time of the harvest, uh, any number of things can happen. Uh, pestilences uh, or pestilence birds other things can come and devour that seed or devour that small plant and the Bible actually gives a pretty good illustration of that in the gospel of Mark where Jesus teaches in Mark chapter 4 and he basically says if you don't understand this parable how will you then know all parables because this is the kind of like the parable of parables the sower sows the word. And in verse 15, it says, And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. When they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. So maybe you hear the word preached or you read it or you're dwelling on it and, and faith comes, encouragement comes, and uplifting comes. But then immediately you find that either you forget about it. Now here in the context, it says Satan comes. So we don't know what form he comes in. And, uh, you know, somebody might say, well, is that him literally? How could one person? Well, no, you know, when, when the Bible talks about God blessing people, for example, you know that there are many avenues or, or servants, maybe even would be a good word that he uses in the process. For example, angels are used to work out God's will. Uh, people are used the Holy Spirit is used. I mean, it, it's not like God himself uh, comes down physically and works at each person. Uh, and, and not to make it not a, a personalized interaction, faith or prayer. Of course, we know it is. But, you know, there's a lot of a lot of pieces at work here. Just read the Old Testament. You'll see what I mean by that. And God uses people. He uses people to pray for you, other people to encourage you. He can lift you up supernaturally by the Holy Spirit on the inside. Have you ever just been feeling down and drained and then suddenly something happens and you can't even put your finger on it and you feel better? I believe that that's an example of a blessing of God or being touched by God or the Holy Spirit. 
The nice thing about this is we don't have to understand how everything works in, in so far as how each little piece, like a watch, fits into this process. Um, but we want to know how it works because we want to know how we can do our part. Or we want to know that if something breaks down and we're not doing our part, how we can fix that. The Bible says to uh, be doers of the word and not hearers only because if you just hear the word but you don't actually do it, you're deceiving yourself. It doesn't say that the devil's deceiving us or other people are deceiving us. It says we're, we're deceiving ourselves. And I, I have to tell you, not even in, in the context of spiritual things, but just in the context of business, I found that at different times in my life, I spent so much time thinking about what to do next. But then, it, comparatively speaking, I spent almost no time actually doing the things I was thinking about. In other words, I'd be thinking about different processes and different options and different things, and days would go by, and the situation never got any better because I wasn't actually putting my hand to anything. I was just thinking about it. It actually felt like I was doing it because I was thinking about it so intensely. But imagine this. Put somebody in a room, in a chair, maybe at a desk, looking at a computer screen, and they're thinking about their problems. And maybe you're watching with a video camera, and they're thinking all day. And they get up and they get a sandwich and they eat, and they run their fingers through their hair and they do some research. And they're thinking and they're thinking and they're thinking, and it gets late at night and they go to bed. And they think about their problems in bed, and we're watching them toss and turn. Then they get up and they look at some options. And but you know, it's only the—it's not the thinking that changes anything. It takes the slightest action. And a lot of times we think we're working, but we're really not. We're just thinking. So, uh, getting back to this uh, concept of of how faith works, I believe that a lot of times, and 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 two sides to this. First is that the kingdom of God can be simplified so much that even a child, Jesus said, that except you be as a child, you can't enter into uh, the kingdom of heaven. I believe that when we get there, when you believe you get there, you, you draw your last breath on this earth, you cross over. I believe that we'll all as individuals be so overwhelmed with just the beauty and the magnitude of what's there and just... I don't even really believe that we can even accurately imagine how wonderful that will be. Being reunited, of course, with those who've gone on before us, um, those who are there, of course. But I, I, I believe that that's just going to be such an overwhelming moment. I don't think anybody will actually be – maybe this will happen further down the road. I don't know. But I don't think anybody will actually be – well, where is this water coming from, and, and how does this grass technically grow? Is there some kind of water system underneath it, or is it just like the energy of God powering this place? And how come there's, how come I don't see a sun? Where is the light? How does the light actually work? How big is this place compared to, let's say, if we wanted to map it out in square miles? <laughs> you know, all of these questions. Even if you were a scientist in your earthly life, I don't believe you'll be thinking like that when you get there. I think you'll just be overwhelmed with the, the bigness and the magnitude of what eternity is and who God is. But yet here, we want to know all of these things. 
And I think in a way, I think that the knowledge makes us feel a little more comfortable. Maybe we believe the knowledge helps us to believe. But the knowledge of what? Knowing exactly how everything works? Or the general knowledge of uh, you know, what the Bible says, who God is, and then the personal experiences that we have. Now, you know, I may say personal experiences, and some people may say, yeah, but you can't go by experience because, you know, there's there's devils and demons and evil spirits that can make you, you know, that appear like angels of light. I'm, I'm not talking about that kind of experience. I'm talking about the kind of experience that a person has when they had the peace of God in their life. The kind of uh, experience that a person has when they have the joy of the Lord and, and that that almost like a song in their heart sometimes. And you can't even put your finger on why it's there. It's just God has blessed you with it. I'm talking about keeping things simple. Yes, we are in a complex world. And yes, we face complex problems. But faith itself has been simplified by Jesus himself. So notice here what it says in the 16th verse. It says in Mark chapter 4, And these are they likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Think about that. I was just thinking today that faith is kind of like gold. In, in, in the earthly realm, gold is very valuable. But faith in the, in the spiritual world, in, in God's world, is, is like gold, right? And, and there's different purities of gold here in the natural and I kind of look at faith in this same way. I'm going to get into this a little bit more because some things, if you don't answer the questions in a way that satisfies you, then that question remains. Think about that. Sometimes in life, we're trying to answer all of these questions and we at least have to come up with a, a satisfactory enough answer so that we can drop that concern and move forward. Okay, so here's what it says back to Mark's gospel. It says, They likewise which are sown on stony ground, when they've heard the word, immediately they receive it with gladness, and having no root in themselves, endure before time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution rises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. So I can look at this in the uh, King James Version and look at it in a concordance. But think about this for a minute. It says they immediately receive it with gladness. Have you ever been in a, in a place like that wh where you were down and you were discouraged and a good word came your way? Maybe you read it. Maybe it was in a book. Maybe you were listening to this podcast or somebody else talk about it. And you endured for a time. It really didn't take root. Because the things that take root grow. But it says afterward when affliction, now the word the Bible uses for affliction there, it talks about pressure. Now pressure can take a lot of different forms. It could take the forms of other people in your lives. It could take the form of events happening at a job it can t uh, or, or circumstances. Anguish, burdened, persecution, tribulation, trouble. These are all in the original Greek from it. And if you have a concordance, you can look it up yourself. It's G2346, translated pressure, both literal and physical. And in the Greek, it's the word uh, thlipsis, T-H-L-I-P, thlip, S-I-S, thlipsis. And 
that arises or persecution. And that's another word it uses there. Persecution is basically what we see happening to Jesus all through his life by the people that came against him, like the Pharisees and the lawyers and the Sadducees and the religious people of the time. It says those things arose for the word's sake. For the word's sake. Isn't that interesting there? Right? So almost like these are spiritual elements within these actual circumstances that come against the truth of God's word. And it says, and immediately they are offended. The word offended there means to trip up, to stumble, or be enticed to sin. In this way, this type of sin is to discard God's word, to discard your confidence with God, to walk away. In other words, God is moving too slow, or God's not going to move at all, so let's look at our other alternatives. That's what that means. Mark four seventeen, They have no root and only endure for a time. Now, some people have 90-day faith. In other words, their faith has the strength to last 90 days. And after that, if the pressure continues on day 91, they get offended, which means they basically say this isn't working. They get mad at God for being too slow. Sometimes they get mad at themselves for not being spiritual enough. That's what it means. And, and they walk away. But verse 18, these are they which are sown among the thorns, another kind, such as hear the word and then the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts for other things entering in, choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. I'll tell you, this is the one that most people that, that I personally know and even in my own life, this is the one that I face probably more than any other thing, the cares of this world, just um, of, of everyday life. All of the things, the to-do lists, the being pulled in different directions. And, and you have to uh, be determined that you're going to push through that. You have to be determined that God is going to hold a certain position in your life and these things are going to be secondary to that. I know it's easier said than done, but it's almost like I know some uh, old-time preachers that this is the way they did it. Every hour, they would find time to acknowledge God, whether it was a quick conversation with him or a time of giving thanks or, or whatever, and they would do it periodically throughout the day. So in other words, if in the quiet time of the morning, is, and that's the time that you, you spend to renew your mind or to pray or, or to think about the, the things that are above, what does the Bible say? How do you encourage yourself? It says you think about the good things, those things that are of good report, those things that are positive, those things for, are from above. Those things, when you think about those kind of things, then you get encouragement, you get peace. But when you start thinking about the things that are happening down here, you get the exact opposite. It's almost like everything that you poured into you, which is good, is burned off as you go through the day. So there is a continue. It's just like the food that we eat, right? The Bible says man shall not live by bread alone. Well, if you eat bread in the morning, we're just using bread as an example of food. Guess what happens by the afternoon? You're hungry again. But that doesn't mean you have to eat. Maybe you don't eat. But if you're working hard, if you're exerting yourself, then you're just going to get weaker and weaker and weaker. Well, it's the same thing spiritually speaking, right? So man shall not live by bread alone, but by the words that proceed out of uh, God's mouth. God's words. So you take that, 
I can tell you sometimes where I felt so beaten up. Just And thank God I haven't felt like this in a long time. But I remember just times in my early 20s where just life seemed to be overwhelming. And I couldn't even focus on reading the Bible. I would just have to open to the book of Psalms or Proverbs and just start and just jump in. I needed something that was easy to swallow, so to speak. You know, when people get sick, they can't even eat solid food sometimes. They're just weak, you know, spiritually. I felt that a few times. Again, you know, the Psalms are easy to digest. They're easy to swallow. And they just do a work on the inside of you. Right? That's how we're designed. We're designed that way by our creator. Right? There's certain things that, that act better, that the body's designed to assimilate better. And there's other things that'll make you sick. And it's the same thing with what we take in. Verse 20 says, um, and, and how does verse uh, 19 end? Mark 4, 19, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things, enter in, choke the word, it becomes unfruitful. We're all living in the same world. We all have to face these things. None of us are on an island that I know of. But then in verse 20, it says, and these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. Now, um, another one of the other gospels says they bring forth fruit with patience or perseverance. So, you know, as I look back at my own life, <coughs> I could see times when my heart was truly in what I was believing. My heart was truly behind my prayers. And I could see other times when the, uh, the cares of this world had entered in and I didn't take the time to renew my mind, didn't take the time to uh, uh, renew my peace, to be at peace, didn't take time to dwell on the things which are from above, didn't take the time to really pray, except, you know, just mouth a few words of thanksgiving here and there. And what happened? Yeah, I found myself in a spot where I was really struggling, where it seemed like the spiritual realities were so far off that as far as options, door number one, door number two, or door number three, those options were so far away, didn't even see they were behind any of those doors. Now, we were talking about faith. Faith is the assurance of something that you can't see, that you can't feel, that you can't touch, that none of your senses can can connect with it. It's something that we connect with deep within our heart. So if you're just living by the physical senses, then it's like you're not in that place where you can, um, I don't want to say, I don't want to use some words that are, um, you know, too out there. I don't want to make this sound like an over, overly spiritual way of, of talking about this. I think we have to look at this at the most practical way possible because that's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't come with all of this philosophy and just lay it out there. He used things that we could see and to give an example of how things worked in the place that we couldn't. That's why he used things like trees and mountains and seeds, things that were out there in everyday life that we could look at and that would be reminders of the things that existed in that invisible realm. And so when I think back about the times where I've prayed and I haven't seen anything coming, almost always at a certain point in time, my mind would put forth the argument that if you were truly believing, you would see, feel, or touch the answer by now. Right. So Luke 18, uh, 
one says that men ought always to pray and not to faint and give up, but doesn't say how long they should pray, just says they should always pray. Now, when we look at the life of Jesus, we, th- we see things happening instantly or within minutes. We, th- we see things ha- happening quickly. And so if we expect something to happen quickly and it doesn't happen quickly, a lot of times we're like the person in this parable, right? Where, where um, let me get back to verse number uh, 17. It says that these are the people that have no root in themselves, endure but for a time, and immediately afterward, it says they are offended, right? When affliction arises. So sometimes people pray, and let's say you're dealing with physical pain in your body. And you want relief. You don't want relief tomorrow. You want relief today. Well, if you pray today and you don't have relief within a day or two, sometimes you become offended. You become angry. You become agitated and you wonder why even bother praying if it's going to take months and months and months to receive an answer. And even though we don't actually come out and make that argument like that, we feel that way. And then we feel guilty for feeling that way because... You know, all the things that the Bible says. Well, maybe we don't all feel guilty. I'm just giving an example of what my personal experiences have been. It's easy to blame God for everything. It is. You hear people make that argument all the time. Well, if God is love, why did he do this? And, And what about this? And what about this? Right? And well, you can say, but what about the cross? God actually came and lived in the same world we're living and faced incredible persecutions more than you and I will ever face. He personally took the sins of everybody who ever lived up until that time and for all eternity on him and was physically beaten and crucified. He did that. He took that. So when you're saying, why would God allow it? Well, God actually had to go through that thing himself. And, and what have we done in comparison to going to the cross? You know, sometimes we kind of get caught in our own little world. He felt the full force of evil against him. Okay, but we're living on the other side of the cross now where the, pe- the penalties for our sins have been paid in full. Where we should be paying a debt that somebody else has already paid for us. Think about that for a minute. You know, s- sometimes you feel like you have to pay a debt, but according to the Bible, your debt has already been paid for you. You know, because maybe you haven't done things quite right. Maybe you haven't been consistent. Maybe even been unfaithful. But the point is forgiveness is available. Peter once asked Jesus and he said, uh, how often should I forgive my brother who sins against me? Seven times a day? And Jesus said, I tell you truly, seven times 70. If he should ask for forgiveness and repent. Well, don't you think that if God is telling us to do that, that how much more is he willing to do that towards us when we sin against him? I think really what it comes uh, what it comes down to for a lot of people is, is what we might call the purity of faith, just like the purity of gold. Sometimes our own faith. Now, I be, yes, I believe Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. You know, one time the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, increase our faith. And he said, if you have a faith of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, you know, the mustard seed. If you ever want to know how big it is, it's like the head of a pin. The eastern mustard seed that he was talking about, different than the mustard seeds in this part of the world in size. It's like the smallest of all. So if it's not the amount of faith that's important, 
right? And it, obviously it's not because the disciples said, Lord, increase, which means give us more. Be like saying increase our salary so we can buy more. That's what they were basically saying with faith. That's how they understood it. But they understood it incorrectly. Right? What did Jesus say about the tiniest of seeds that becomes the largest of trees that even the birds of the air can nest in it? That's the way faith is. It's a tiny seed. So it's not the, the size of the seed. It's the purity of it. And what I mean about that is, is that our own lives, our own personalities, our own experiences give us a certain amount of, I guess you might call it doubts or fears or uncertainties that rise up every time we pray. Let me say that again. Our own lives, our own experiences, all of these things work together and our minds present us with a certain amount of doubt, fear, or uncertainty. That's why Jesus said, I believe, in Luke 18, 1, men ought always to pray and not to faint because sometimes things appear like they're taking longer because we have more to fight through personally as we're relating to the situation than we have in situations in the past. There are more fears we have to push down or push through or get over. It's not that God is delaying. Now, I know sometimes people will say, yeah, but I, I've tried all that. I've, I've tried to face my fears. I've tried to face my doubts. And I think I have, but I still don't see the answer. Well, what does the Bible say about that? The Bible says, having done all to stand, stand, therefore. You know, having your uh, waist girded about with truth or your loins with truth. Let me actually find that verse. Yeah, here we go. Uh, Ephesians 6.13, it says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. What do you think the evil day is? The, the evil day is when we see, uh, is when we don't see the will of God being done. The evil day is the day of testing, the day of trial, the day of struggle, the day of depression. And having done all to stand, have you, have you ever felt that way, right? It, then it says, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate, breastplate of righteousness, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, above all, taking the shield of faith. Wherefore, that you might be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. You know, when Jesus was tested and tempted and tried by the devil in the wilderness, it's the devil came and tested him these three times that we see, but we know that he was in the he was there for forty days and nights and was tired and was hungry and was at the physical weak point when the enemy came with his temptations. And it's easy to read about that, you know, because we didn't actually have to go through it. Imagine forty days somewhere in the wilderness. It says he was there with the wild beasts. Imagine that going through that. How would you? Some people can't even imagine going a day without eating. But 40? And in the heat of the day, in the cold of the night? Yeah, so uh, again, sometimes we just get caught up with what we're doing and we think, well, why is God allowing this? Well, he went through it. A and then some. Right? And the servant is not greater than the master. If they persecuted the master, they'll persecute the servant. If those spirits came against him, they'll come against you. But you already had the victory in Christ. I know, I know, you can't see it and feel it sometimes yet, but you have to believe. And so you get to that point where 
Having done all to stand, you just keep on standing. Some person put it like this one's, faith never wears a watch. Great saying. Faith can't tell what time it is. It can't tell that it's been standing a day, a week, or 12 months because it only lives one moment at a time. It only, it, 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 you, know, you know that old saying about people who need to stay sober have to stay sober one day at a time? Well, you can apply that to faith. You might think, oh, but I'm sick and I'm hurting or, or, or we're about to lose this house and faith can't see any of that. All it can see is believing that it has the answer one minute at a time. It lives, one mo- it lives from moment to moment. It doesn't live out in yesterday or it doesn't live out in tomorrow. It lives right here, right now. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is, not will be, not was. It is. It's a living thing connected to a living spirit, connected to a living Savior. So sometimes we need to remind ourselves about this because if we don't, no one else will. No one else will. You're not going to get this on the news. Unfortunately, you won't even get it in a lot of churches. Right? This is the reality of the Bible. These are the truths. And it's natural that the, the thing that, that is filling you up and exciting you right now, and as you go out into the world, it's just like gasoline in a car engine that's running or fuel in a body that's moving and working. You burn it off. You burn it off. And so you need new fuel. You need new food every day. The manna in the wilderness only lasted one day for the Israelites, and they had to get fresh manna every day. So this isn't from a, a religious point of view. This is from the reality that we deal with. Right? We, we, we burn it off. We, we leak, however you want to put it. But it's that way for everyone. So you have to take the time feeding yourself spiritually, feeding that, that mental part of you, renewing your mind. You have to do it every day. I mean, you could do it and do it and do it for months on end and stop for one week and then you're back to where you start sliding back to where you were. It's a, this is a way of life. The just shall live by faith. So anyway, I hope you found that encouraging. I'm going to put the bookmarker in it right there because I, I said a lot of important things. I've been talking about 30 minutes, so I really want you to dwell on this. We'll talk some more about it. We'll talk some more about it and... One of the other things I want to encourage you is that sometimes, you know, we look at other people and think, well, if they were in my situation, they'd get the victory because they're more spiritual or more mature than I am or they know more or whatever. I want to encourage you to remember this. I want to leave this with you today, that God deals with us as individuals. We're his children. And he deals with a three-year-old the way different than he deal from a 10-year-old, different from he deal the way he deal with a 20-year-old. He'll deal with you where you're at. He's not going to require you to do something that you're not capable of doing at this time in your life. Yeah, yeah, the the tests are there, but the tests that we're given aren't above what we can handle. I I guess I can just leave it at that. The Bible says that God will not allow us or suffer us to be tempted above that which we are able, but will with every temptation provide a way of escape. Right? That you may handle. In other words, there's not something so big that it's unbeatable for you as an individual that comes your way. If that was the case, I think all of the the enemy, the dark spiritual forces in the world, they would have crushed all of us long ago. Why? Because we're all human. We're all fallible. All right.
That's all for today. Thanks for joining me. God bless you. And I look forward to seeing you next time as we'll continue this talk on how faith works. <laughs>